Shalom Aleichem. Welcome back. So, my friends, this is, uh, this is heavy stuff. This is heavy stuff. Somebody recently said to me, when are you just going to get done with this already? This, uh, when are you finishing this gate of trust? You know? So here's the thing. I hope never to be finished with Shara B'tachan. I hope that I'm going to have the, the time and the patience to keep going back to it because I have found that the only way to really, shall we say, appreciate, or the only way to be able to actually live by virtue of the ideas of Shara B'tachan is to keep immersing oneself in them and studying them. If you want to finish Shara B'tachan, this is probably the wrong... Might, well, might not be the right class for you. <laughs> because I'm not in the business of finishing. I would like to be in the business of understanding and allowing and allowing this to take its, take its course. And the reason I'm telling you all of this is because even though we kind of started, we turned the corner and we, and we began talking about a new dimension. Thank you. Thank you for that. Thank you, Sam, and whoever else is joining us. Please feel free to ask any questions. We started, we started something new, and we're going to almost go back to it because, because I realized certain things that I didn't realize before, and I see it differently now, and <laughs> there's only one way to do this, and that's the right way, and, and the right way is that I'm learning on the job, and I'm not ashamed to tell you that I keep learning new things, and I never really learned Shara B'tachem properly before in my life. So it's, uh, it's taken me time to make my way through this. You know, I got an interesting question from somebody a while back, and I, I responded to her, to her, and I don't, I don't know what her number is. I don't, um, and I deleted the email, so I, I would love to follow up. She asked me a question about a relationship that she was in because she stumbled across these classes on Shara B'tachad. And, and she said this to me. She said, so I was told that if one has B'tachad, if one has trust in Hashem, that it brings blessings. I said, yeah, that's, that's correct. And I'm going to talk about that. I'm actually going to reiterate some of the things we learned in a previous episode. So she said that she was dating somebody. And she really liked him, but he decided to call it off. And she says, but I, I actually, 
I still like him. So she says to me, if I have betochen, will that like bring this relationship back? If I have, if I trust in Hashem that this relationship is good for me, so is that like a way to open this door? And I and I said to her, I have to tell you the brutal, honest truth. It doesn't sound right to me, but I'm not sure because I didn't get to that part of Shara Betochen yet. And, and I'm, not a, I'm not an expert on Betochen, certainly not yet. I said, I, I, I don't think so. Now, I hope that she'll watch this episode and find out the right answer. But the answer, by the way, is certainly not. Certainly not. Why not? And that kind of brings you back to the beginning of the previous episode alone as we move into solitude. In the previous episode, I tried to spell out the paradigm shift that we were experiencing in this series now. Betochen is going to be applied to something in a very different way. And there was even a word that I focused on briefly. And I didn't, I didn't fully understand it, but now, now I understand the word much better. In the beginning of the previous episode, we started from, and if you would like to follow inside, only because I've been calling out page numbers in the, in the Kiat edition. So on page 148, where it begins with proper attitude in social interactions. And I have to say, that's a, that's a pretty interesting way to put it, proper attitude. Because we're talking about betachen, but the truth is, Rabbeinu Bechaya kind of, he kind of goes in, a, in, in an attitudinal direction here. Because what he's talking about with regard to solitude, lonesomeness, social interactions, or more accurately, right now, the lack thereof, is not betachen, not trust, as we have learned it up until now. It's very different. And only now am I realizing how different it is. Rabbeinu Bechaya begins this next almost uh, topic, this, this next direction. He uses the word aval. Now, aval usually means like a but. But, so I said A, B, and C. But, if you'll do everything you promised and so on and so forth, then I'll be there for you. But, avol, that's, that's typically how we understand this word. Sometimes it could, we can use the English, however, if you sing it right. However, if such and such will be the case, oh, that's another story. I was extremely disappointed when I looked at uh, other English translations, for example, in the, in the art scroll version. It just says, Avol And the way they wrote it, let us now turn to the explanation of the third category, as if uh, Avol means now. That's a mistranslation. That's a gross mistranslation. In the Feldham edition, I saw the same thing. Now let us take it to the third group. Hey, rabbis, that's, that's not what it says. 
Rabbi Yehuda ibn Tibbin wrote the word Avol for a reason. I don't know what Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar wrote in his original Hebreo-Arabic, but, but wait, the translation as it's rendered, the word Avol shows up here, and this is the first time, to the best of my recollection, in the entire book so far, that we begin a paragraph with the word Avol. So, the Kiat edition, to their credit, says however. However, the explanation. Now, why do we start with however? Why is there an aval over here? Well, I'll tell you why there's an aval. There's an aval because there's an aval because something's different here. Something is now about to change. We have learned in a number of places in Shara Betochen, the Shara Betochen making statements to the effect that if one trusts in Hashem, it brings the blessing. And then there's a famous question about that. You know, uh, a great sage of the Lithuanian yeshiva world posed the question, what do you mean? It's like some kind of talisman, some kind of magic. You just, uh, you just decide things are going to be good for you, so they go good for you. And the Chazanish, therefore, comes to a conclusion which argues with Rebbeinu B'chaya. I'm not really sure how that's possible, but, but he says something different than Rebbeinu B'chaya. Rebbeinu B'chaya translates trust as being certain that Hashem is going to do good for you, and he translates trust in what Rebbeinu B'chaya would say is called emuna, believing that whatever happens is good for you. Now, I don't understand how that works out to be betochen, I, I, but whatever, it's beyond my pay grade. I didn't spend time trying to figure out the deeper message of, of what the Chaznish might have meant. But it, it's certainly not what Rabbeinu Bechayah says, and it's not what the Maharal of Prague says, and it's not what Rabbeinu Bechayah II says, and it's not what Rabbeinu Yoyna says. It's just not what the Rishonim are saying. They, they say otherwise. But how does that work? How does that work? So, for example, we have in the words of the Rabbeinu Bechayah II in the Kabbah Kemach, where he writes, and I'm going to quote, and we've, I've, I've actually shared this quote before, that Baiteach Bahashem, the one who trusts in Hashem, Yesugov Min Hatzara. And the word Yesugov is borrowed. It's biblical phraseology from the book of Proverbs, from the 29th chapter of Mishlei. He says, He will be Yesugov Min Hatzara. He will be shielded or protected from the Tzara. And his words, Rabbeinu Bachai bin Asher, is Bishar. Habitachan. In the reward of the Betachan. In the reward of the Betachan. Even though this bad thing was coming down the pike, it was going to happen to him. But because he trusted in Hashem, he's now going to be shielded. The great Maharal of Prague similarly says in his Sefer, Nesiv Olam. Pathways of the world. He says in Nitiv Habitachon, in the pathway of trust, he says, Kama Gadol Midat Habitachon. How great, how powerful is this measure called trust when you trust in Hashem with all your heart? Shakol Hadvarim Nasin Everything becomes good. Everything becomes good by virtue of Bitochen. The Maharal of Prague says, this is the story of Rabbi Akiva. This is the story of Nachum Gamzu. I talked about these things. We described them in detail. Fascinating stories in the Talmud about the power of Betochen. This is their power. 
Because he was so certain that Hashem will save him. Not only God can, but he will. Even though a person may seem, may seem to a person that his hope is lost, a hopeless situation, don't give up hope. Trust him. And you place your trust in him. Then Hashem Yisbaruch, well, now you've placed it in His hands, God will come forward and He will save you. Because you placed your trust in Hashem. So betachin works. <laughs> like, plain and simple. In, in the, the Rebbe, in a very famous edited sicha, a rumination on Parshat Shemot and the idea of betachin, talks about this, he delves into this. And he says, betachin, the betachin that we were commanded upon, and I want to, you know, send you back about 90 episodes ago. We talked about the mitzvah of betachin. What, what kind of mitzvah is it? Where is there an instruction, an obligation, a responsibility in the Torah for a person to place his or her trust in Hashem? But in fact, it is the case. So he says, Eino rak prakt. It's not just a detail. It's not uh, from emuna, from the, the faith, shakolbi deshomayim, everything's in God's hands. And God's probably going to be good. No, the Rebbe says, this chovah, this obligation is an avodah b'fnei atzmo. It is an effort that a person has to make on his own. It's an effort that we are called upon to make. All of Yiddishkeit is about efforts. Things that happen by themselves are not called mitzvahs. A mitzvah is not an accident. Nobody is good by mistake. And if one simply does the right thing reflexively, instinctually, then it's not really a mitzvah. And the harder it is for you to do it, the more valuable the mitzvah is. As we say, lefum tzara agra. Why? Because God likes pain? <laughs> According to the pain will be the gain. Let me make you a little more miserable, said God. Let me torture you a little. When you're really writhing in pain, then I'm going to give you a reward. Is that how you understand the Mishnah? I would say to you, heaven forfend. Sounds like sadism. When God says lefum tzara agra, what he means to say is, that the mitzvah is all about the effort we invest. And the effort isn't only a physical effort. The effort isn't only something that takes time or even treasure, but rather it's about heart and soul. It's about a person being able to focus, control one's mind, to be able to douse the anxieties, the doubts, the worries, which naturally creep up to be able to find the inner tranquility so that one could serve Hashem properly. These are not easy things. It's a very difficult thing. And a person has to work on learning how to rely on Hashem. Yismoich v'yishan ala Kaddish Baruch It's not simple. The Chivis Halavavis, Yabinu Bachaya, alludes to this in at least two places. As the Rebbe says, take a look in the second chapter. The sixth method in Betochen. Rabbeinu Bachaya says that the sixth method is that to trust in somebody means to be able to place something proverbially in their hands. To know that nobody 
can hurt you. Nobody can help you. Nobody can do anything to you. Like a prisoner, incarcerated, languishing in a cell, a pit. You're entirely in the hands of the jailer, so to speak. You're in his hands. He's controlling your destiny. That's God. No jailer can control your destiny. It seems that the jailer controls his destiny. Hashem is controlling your destiny. When the person can actually deliver, then he would be deserving of your trust. And of course, there is no such person because nobody's really in control. Or Rabbeinu B'chayah says later on, in the third chapter of Shara B'tochen, he says, Vachamishi, the fifth, fifth thing is to know in your heart that nobody is able to hurt you or harm you. You're entirely, so to speak, in God's hands. And because you're in God's hands, absolutely nothing can harm or hurt you. And that is precisely the point that we are making, my friends. The point that we are making is that this does not come easy. It takes tremendous effort to be able to trust Hashem. And as the Rebbe goes on to say, when a person has this kind of trust in Hashem, when a person believes, because a person believes that Hashem's kindness, that Hashem's benevolence is endless, that's why he'll receive Hashem's beneficence, Hashem's kindness. Without him doing any other work. Because the betochen itself is an avaydah. It's not without work. It's a tremendous effort and work. And the betochen, he may Hashem. It brings the kindness of Hashem. Brings it. It's like a it's like an awakening. That's God does good with him. But then the question comes: How can I be certain? Says who? So Rabbeinu Bachaya painstakingly mapped out this the difference between the things that we are certain of and the things we are not certain of. For as long as you will remain alive, you will receive sustenance. God promises it. So it says it in open clear, explicit verses in prophecy of the scripture. God proverbially opens his hand and he gives sustenance. He's going to give you these things. And as you might remember, we learned that there's a sharp distinction between the money I need to survive, the money, the funding that I need to provide for others, which is already a privilege, and then he says, the funding which I'll never touch. The money that people simply amass and they pass on to somebody else, oftentimes a person they can't stand. So there's no guarantee that you're ever going to have extra. There's no guarantee you're going to have luxury. So why should you have no anxiety? <laughs> why? Because if Hashem doesn't want me to live luxuriously, if He wants me to get by, I'm, I'm going to get by. That's the way it's going to be. No matter how hard I work, I can't change that. No matter what I do, it'll remain that way. 
but I'm guaranteed that I'll have what I need. So I trust in Hashem. I can be anxiety-free. The worry will achieve absolutely nothing. Now, if this sounds strange to you, it's because you haven't been watching. You haven't been participating. If you're, if you're still with me or if you're getting on the, on, on the bandwagon of Betochen, go back and watch the previous classes. But here, something's going to change. The Betochen, when it comes to relationship, is different, the Betochen, than when it comes to having one's needs. Nobody can hurt you. Nobody can harm you if Hashem doesn't want it to be. If you are destined to be, you will be. If you're destined not to be, your worries aren't going to change it. But if you're destined to be, you will be. And you will have what you must. That's Hashem's bond. It's His guarantee. But now we're talking about relationship. What if somebody is bereft of relationship? What if they're lonely? Well, uh, Hashem will have to provide you a friend. You just have betachen. And a friend will materialize out of thin air. Right? Wrong. I, I, I think that's a great shidduch for me. I'm just going to trust that that boy or girl is for me and it's just going to come my way, says the prospective suitor. Right? Yeah, it doesn't exactly work that way. So you decided it's good for you. They don't feel it's good for them. So therefore, you're going to trust and compel them to live with you because you decided that it's good? Oh, I see. Because you're going to have trust. Hashem is going to make a miracle and change their mind. Make them into a different personality. They don't like such and such about your personality, which they're entitled to. <laughs> you don't have to be married to everybody in the world. You have to find one person. We all have idiosyncrasies. We all have hang-ups. We all have our misgivings. We all have our shortcomings. All. And of the whole world, Hashem works it out that the right man and the right woman who can actually put up with each other's idiosyncrasies and, and, and narishkeit and appreciate the virtues and the values without allowing the shortcomings and the vices to get in the way that they should marry. And that, that's the shidduch. That's the, that's the bashert. So this is a person who doesn't like whatever it is, the quirks of your personality. But you're going to have betochen and you think you're going to change that person? It doesn't say that. That Hashem could save you from somebody who wants to harm you, from negative circumstances, from a danger in the offing. Yes, Hashem can save you. But when it comes to relationships, in every friendship, in every relationship, takes two to tangle. Hashem doesn't create robots for you to have a relationship with. So, you have to pray to Hashem that He should send the right person, that you should have the privilege to cross paths with the right person. Everything's a privilege. Everything is a gift. And if we pray to Hashem, hopefully we'll meet that right person. But if somebody isn't the right person, betochen isn't going to turn them into the right person. And if you were destined to be alone, you might not be able to change that. So this is a different kind of betochen, my dear friends. We haven't talked about this yet. And I would like to humbly suggest, Rabbeinu Bechaya spells it out. He says, Avol! Avol, 
Pidush HaChilek HaShlishi, this third category, this is very different. This is a different kind of reality. Dealing with relationship from intimate to familial, from friendship to acquaintance, from business to, to, to the people you don't like. These are all about relationship. He says there, the appropriate, the proper way of relying for Hashem in these matters Said Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar as such. And I'm going to tell you again, he hasn't used these words before. You'll forgive me if you're, we're being repetitive. He hasn't used, we, we talked about this in a previous episode. He said, You cannot escape one of two things. You're either going to be alone, estranged, or you're going to have friends. You can only be one of those two situations. In Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar's words, you're either going to be a stranger or you're going to live among family and friends. He says clearly. It's like saying, uh, you know, forgive me for the silly joke. So the guy sits down on the LL plane, and the stewardess comes over, and she says, uh, like when I was a kid, LL was known for having bad service. I think today everything changed. But anyway, this was like the joke then. So the stewardess comes over and says, what would you like for lunch today? And uh, the passenger is um, so impressed. He says, wow, look, look at the airline is now spruce themselves up. I have a choice for meals. He says, what's my choice? And the stewardess says, matter-of-factly, you could have lunch or not. That's your choice. Like the Pena Bechai says, well, you have a choice. You're either going to have friends or not. Wow. I'm like really glad Rabbeinu Bechai told me that because, you know, otherwise I was going to have friends or I was going to have friends or have friends. Or maybe not have friends. He says, no, no, no. It's only two choices. You're going to have them or not. You can have more friends, better friends, half friends. Is it just not having friends, but at least not having enemies? Nope. You have it or not. R- really? Like, what exactly does that, what does that mean? What does it mean? So I think what it means is that it is not a given, it's not a given that every person will have the benefit of companionship. It's not a given that every person will have peers. It's not a person that every person will have children or a spouse or even people who understand them. It's not a given. It is eminently possible that a person should be placed in this world in a manner that's perhaps described as isolated, lonesome. You know, I remember this conversation that I was having with um, somebody a little bit older than me, older chassid a little bit. And it was after the passing of the Rebetzin. And he said to me, as I was a boy, I couldn't like wrap my head around this. He said to me, in Yiddish, the Rebbe is Elon Tviashtein. He said, the Rebbe is like alone in the world now. I'm like, what do you mean? There's thousands of Hasidim, and we all love the Rebbe. And I remember this older person, 
I was just like a, like, you know, a wide-eyed teenager. He said, looking at me like, just like I could see in his mind, like, kid, you don't get it. And of course I didn't. I don't know. I didn't, I didn't understand it. And it's a little bit uncomfortable for Hasidim to talk about it. Rebbe like this, you know, the Rebbe is a tzaddik, it's a holy man. He's like in a totally different headspace. It's like you can't superimpose our realities over the realities of righteous people who live in a different zone. But, but the reality was that the Rebbe had one person in the world with whom he could converse. As uh, the Rebbe's cardiologist, Dr. Weiss, famously said, he never saw the Rebbe talk to anybody as an intellectual equal, except when the Rebbe was talking to the Rebbe. So the Rebbe would, a little bit of companionship the Rebbe had in his life was lost. He was a man who was peerless. There were many people around the Rebbe. The person could be surrounded by followers, by acolytes, by admirers. It doesn't mean that he has the benefit of friendship. And a human being may not have that. Every human being, says Rabbeinu Bachaya, is guaranteed sustenance. Sustenance. You are not guaranteed friendship. You are not guaranteed relationship. So where does Betochen come into this? Well, Betochen has to come into everything. Because in every situation in life, we have the opportunity and the ability to connect to Hashem through Betochen, through our trust in Hashem. So how does one, how does one marshal the wherewithal, the spiritual courage and conviction that fuels betochen in this kind of situation. What precisely does one do? We haven't spoken about this at all yet. This is the first time we're talking about a different kind of betochen. And the, the first thing we, we begin to realize here is that Rabbeinu Bachaya does not for one moment say, trust in Hashem and it'll work itself out. It'll be, maybe it's delayed, you'll see. The companionship is coming because every person is guaranteed friendship, companionship, and relationship. So says the scripture, absolutely nowhere. So says Torah, absolutely not. Doesn't say that. So, what is a person then who trusts in Hashem supposed to do with the gnawing emptiness of isolation? How do you deal with that? Betachin is supposed to give me a sense of certainty, a sense of inner tranquility, a sense of peace. But I'm lonely. <laughs> I don't have anybody to talk to. So the Bainu Bechaya says, for this, betochen does not mean certainty that things will be as you might have hoped for them to be. Here, betochen is distilled into an attitudinal coping mechanism. Your attitude has to be such that you will see the silver lining of betochen, of uh, emptiness, of loneliness, of isolation. You're alone. There's a value to it. You're in solitude. 
there is a tremendous gift to solitude. You say, there is? It's inhumane. We are wired for companionship and relationship. This goes against our grain. Not entirely. And I know I'm reviewing some of the things we already learned, and you'll forgive me for it, but really and truly, I can only teach this as well as I can teach it. And, 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 and as I continue to learn and understand it better, I'm, I'm doing the best I can. We're in this together, guys. Slowly but surely, we're building betachem. So the first thing that Rabbeinu Bahaya says when it comes to engineering your attitude, he says, Yiftach Allah b'geirusa. Funny expression. <laughs> it means, it means um, he should rely on Hashem in his time of loneliness. So what, what does it mean? Rely on Hashem for what? Rely on Hashem to kind of take the place of the relationships that he or she is missing. This is very powerful stuff. In other words, in other words, despite the fact that we are social animals, despite the fact that we as human beings were created by God to engage in relationship. And God created the first human being, Adam, all by himself. And then he says, It's not good for a person to be alone. That first iteration of humanity was an androgynous creature with two sides. And God performs the first surgery and he peels one side off and makes the new and improved version and it's called a woman. And he introduces Adam to his better half, quite literally. So a person's not supposed to be alone. Or as our sages put it, it's found in multiple places in the Talmud. It's better to be with somebody than be alone. People don't like to be in isolation, to be alone. So how do I deal with that? In, in, in that loneliness can be one of the most debilitating factors. It can actually rob a person of a desire to live. There were people during this whole period of COVID lockdowns, when they brought down the second lockdowns, there was actually a story right here in Ontario, was reported in the press, of a woman in a long-term care facility, like a, you know, an old people's home. She said, if we're going back into lockdown, I, I'm choosing a lethal injection, I, I can't live. I, I can't live anymore, in, like, and I, I can't live in isolation anymore. And if I'm not mistaken, if my memory doesn't fail me, she actually, tragically, chose to check out for good. A famous story of Choni Hamagul who falls asleep for decades and wakes up and nobody knows who he is and he says, like, I, I can't live without friends. So, what if a person's alone? I mean, solitary confinement is a, is, a, is a cruel and undue form of 
mental and emotional torture. So how does a person survive this? So the first thing Rabbeinu Bechaya says is that Yiftach Olav Begeruse that you have to rely on Hashem in your isolation, in your loneliness. And he starts telling you how to build a better attitude. He says, It's like literally means bring it up to your heart. It's like, it's like sometimes you don't even want to think about things. You know, people say, well, why don't you consider this? And your oftentimes response may be, I'll consider it when I have to consider it. I'm, I'm not prepared to even entertain that thought now. Why would you even think about that? Somebody, a reporter once asked me a ridiculous question about what if members of your family married out of their faith? Something unthinkable to us. So well, how would you cope with it? And I turned around to this uh, person, this uh, television personality, and I said to him, so what if you fall off the 10th floor of your condo and you're a paraplegic? How will you deal with your new condition being paralyzed from head to toe? And he said, well, I mean, I, I, I don't think about that. And I said, okay, so I don't think about your questions either. But do I have to have an answer to that? Why, why would he even bring it to mind? Why would he even entertain that? The answer is you wouldn't. In fact, you shouldn't. But this person is in a state of loneliness. He's in isolation. So in his solitude, he has to bring to mind, he has to contemplate and he has to emotionally kind of relate to the loneliness of the soul, the solitude of the soul in this world. Do you know the solids are solitude? The soul is lonely. Why is the soul lonely? Because, uh, as a rule, the soul is not appreciated. He's like almost invisible, nobody notices him. Your poor soul is yearning for some Torah study, some mitzvahs, some holiness, closeness to God, that you're too busy pursuing fame and fortune and libido and everything else in between. And the soul is like, hello, anybody notice me here? And people are like, well, who are you? I'm you. I'm your inner voice. I never heard of you. Leave me alone. It's, it's, it's not so much fun being a soul in this world, apparently. So, so there's a gedus hanefesh be'ilum hazeh. So it's almost like, it's almost like use your solitude to remind yourself that your poor neshama is feeling like this. He always feels in solitude. You know, the Alter Rebbe in Tanya talks about this. He says that, that the, the neshama is all alone. And, and one of the ways in chapter in Pedic Tanya and Pedic Memvav, he said one of the ways of being able to serve Hashem is to awaken a sense of mercy for the neshama. Have a little compassion on your soul. He feels so alone, so isolated. He's so uncomfortable. And that's a way to a person to emote, to come closer to Hashem. So Rabbeinu Bechai is saying, use your loneliness 
to refocus on what life is really all about. And I want to reiterate the way the the Marple and Nefesh put it. I mean, I, I shared it to you last time. The Marple and Nefesh said this is a way for us to come into having a better relationship with Hashem. So, I see somebody, I can't read that well. Give my heart. So, um, your comments are, are extremely, extremely intuitive. And, 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 and you're asking, there is a, you're, you're saying, there's another way Hashem by relating to Hashem as frequently as possible. The answer is yes. That's precisely what we're going to talk about now. And, and you're saying, you're alone all the time, I'm sorry. All I think about is Hashem now. That, that is a beautiful coping mechanism. In fact, I don't know who you are and if you've been studying the Shara B'tochen, but that's more or less what the Shara B'tochen is going to suggest. The, the Marpil and Nefesh says, Geiros Nafshe. He says, he says like this, don't sit and ruminate on your loneliness, on your isolation. You know, chew it over and think about it all the time and, 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 and feel uh, forlorn and self-pity. He says, He says, we're all really strange. We're all strange. <laughs> I'm not a stranger. He says, yes, ha-nefesh. The nefesh is chelik mal which is the terminology that comes from the earliest Jewish philosophers. The Alter Rebbe, by the way, modifies that with one important word. He adds the word mamash. Chilikalikami mal mamash, says the Alter Rebbe. In Tanya, Perik Beis. He's a stranger in this world. He's all alone in this world. So, so that's actually what's, what's going on inside. You should use your loneliness to better understand your soul. And if you'll understand your soul and be mindful of your soul, then you'll be mindful of God because your soul is a piece of God. And you will yearn for closeness to Hashem. And the loneliness becomes a marvelous mechanism through which you are able to bridge the gap and feel Hashem in your life. It's a little bit counterintuitive. But if you think about it, it kind of makes sense. And here Rabbeinu Bachaya goes to a very interesting place. And I know that I've read and even taught these words in the previous episode, but I must go back and repeat them because I understand and want to explain them differently now. Rabbeinu Bachaya chose to introduce a verse in the Torah. And on the surface, the verse has nothing to do with the subject. It sounds, on the surface, borderline preposterous. He says, he says, okay, we talk about, think about the Gators and Nefesh. The people of the land, they're like strangers in the land, you know. As the scripture says, You are foreigners, strangers, and residents with me. What, what, what does that even mean? You talk about the soul, the soul is alone, the soul is forlorn, the soul came from a different environment, a different atmosphere, a different existence, forced to be embodied, yearning for its source. I understand the soul is lonely, is ignored. What does it mean? 
Anshei Ha'oretz Kamegedim? People of the land are, are lonely? I know a lot of non-lonely people. Well, the scripture says, Kigedim, Kigedim b'teshavim atamimadi, you're strangers with me. It's not really what it says. Let's, let's take a look at the words of the Pasuk itself. I, this is really important. I want to take a look at the words of the Pasuk because, because uh, we have to understand what the, what the great Rabbeinu B'chai is trying to say here. The, the Pasuk is found in the, in the book of Leviticus, Sefer Vayikra. It's the 25th chapter. It's the 23rd verse. And it's speaking about the land of Israel. And it says... And I'm quoting. You cannot sell the land in perpetuity. As Rashi says, for an, a final, perpetual sale. You can't sell the land that way. Because it's my land. You can't sell the land because it's not yours to sell. It's mine, says God. Why is it yours? Because you are strangers and sojourners with me. That's what it says. You're strangers and settlers. I don't understand. I can sell my house in Canada, but I can't sell my house in Israel because I'm a stranger. I mean, Rashi says, don't, don't like say, hey, what's going on here? I, I'd like to sell this land. Ain't a shalach, it's not really yours. But that's, Rashi says on the words, ki li So what does it mean, ki gerim v'toshavim, because you are strangers? Rashi doesn't explain it. The only one of the Rishonim that I found explains it is the Sephorno. And it could be others I didn't find. So the, the Sephorno says this. Ki geirim v'toshavim, for foreigners and residents or strangers and settlers, you are with me. So the, the, the Sopharno says, Be'oto ha'galil she'eino b'chlal v'ha'aretz nasan levnei adam. This is in the region, meaning Eretz Yisrael. And in this region, Eretz Yisrael is the land of God. This region is the land of Hashem. Because for in this region, it's not included the principle that we read in Psalms chapter 115, verse 16, that says over there, that the land was given, the earth was given to humankind. Literally to the children of humans. This is not included in that. So what does that mean? It means something like this. That the Sepharno is saying that the land of Israel cannot be sold in perpetuity because it has a unique status insofar as land and ownership is concerned. Unlike the other lands which God did apportion to humanity entirely, as it says, Yatsev Gevulais Amim, which is Deuteronomy 28, this is uh, 32, pardon me. Pasha says, you know, the land of Israel is not given to the Jewish people unconditionally. It's not your land, do with it as you please. But even when we are in the land of Israel, 
Forget other people, other nations. They're always occupiers and foreigners. And they are never intrinsically or inherently part of the land of Israel. No people can ever lay claim to the land of Israel besides the Jewish people. It's false. It's a false narrative. It doesn't have a shred of veracity or truth. Not a shred. Since the Jewish people have come to the land of Israel, there has never been a king or queen of Israel. There has never been an independent government or currency. There has never been a unique anthropology, civilization, or culture, or custom. Never! I know the world likes to tell you that. It's the biggest lie. It doesn't have a shred, a thread of truth to it. For even when Hashem gives the land to the Jewish people... He didn't give it to them in absoluteness. Because if it's mine, I can do as I please. It's yours, but it's not yours to give away. and It's not yours to sell. Because Hashem remains the true owner. He remains the real master of the land of Israel. And that's why things like the Jubilee, in which things revert back to their original ancestral ownership, only happen in the land of Israel. Not anywhere else. In other words, this Gator Vitoshavim, this is about the land of Israel. So what in heaven is Rabbeinu Bechayi talking about? What does it mean that, that he makes this bold statement? He says, The people of the land, which refer to humanity. So I'm talking about people living in Israel. So I found something very interesting. The Balaturim reads into this. He says the next verse begins with the words, Ubechol Eretz. Now, the verse continues on. Ubechol Eretz achuzatchem, in the whole land of your heritage, your ancestral uh, land, Ulatitno. But he says, the, if you read it as a sentence, Gedim v'toshovim atem imadi ubechol Eretz. You are ever strangers with me in every land. This is not pshat. This is what we would call a level of drush. It's a homily. So the Balaturim says that those words come immediately afterwards. Lomar to tell you. Wherever we go, God goes with us. So, what the Balaturim reads into these words is that Hashem, when Hashem says Gerim v'toshavim, it's not only a commentary on the land, but it's a commentary on our relationship with Him. We are always foreigners to what's happening around us, and God is always with us. God is always, wherever we are, God is with us. I can't know with certainty what the Bein Abachayim meant here, but I'm going to humbly suggest that the Bein Abachayim means something along those lines. And what he's trying to tell us here is that when it comes, when it comes to understanding the realities to be, as, 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 as they are, you know, the, the reality of, of life, that there is a broad description, not on a level of pshat, it's not the pshat in the Pasuk, but a broad description that says that we are v'chol an all peoples of the world are merely sojourners. The land is, is, there's nothing permanent about this life. Everything in this life is temporary. Life is a sojourn. 
And the Torah almost speaks to the fate of humankind. We are fated on some level to be foreigners, to be strangers, to be sojourners, to be passing through. We're fated. It's, it's, it's encoded into our very being, our very existence. As much as we are built for social interaction, and we certainly are, we are also very much built or predisposed to being in a state of isolation and aloneness. And I was thinking about this. In fact, people and loneliness is like, uh, like french fries and ketchup. People are lonely. A lot of people are lonely. Like, I don't know if cats and dogs are lonely. I don't know if a bird flying in the sky feels lonely. I don't know if it has a consciousness, awareness, if it does or doesn't have companionship. Are animals uncomfortable when they don't have friendship? I, I don't know. I don't know if we even can know that. A human being is called a medaber in Torah, not a homo sapien, not a smarter animal, but a communicator. So, so that means communication is really about relationship. Relationship is a human thing. And because we're kind of built for relationships, we're almost fated to suffer from a lack of relationship. We're always either going to be lonely or socially fulfilled or somewhere in the middle. But, I mean, these are the two poles of the human condition. We're either fully engaged, we have the privilege of relationship, or we feel it's missing. That itself is part of the human condition. Loneliness, or the possibility of loneliness, is part of the human condition. We don't know, but we think that sometimes babies cry because they feel lonely. You know, because the, the, the mother will wake up, the father will wake up, and the baby doesn't want to feed, sometimes. So if the baby wakes up, the baby feels pain and hunger, so it's crying because it's hungry. The baby's got a diaper, he's uncomfortable, he's crying because he's discomfort. Sometimes the baby's perfectly fine, doesn't want to eat, doesn't have a diaper. Well, Why is he crying for? He just woke up and felt alone. <laughs> a little while back, there's a small children, one of my small children, my little daughter came running into the room, and, and, um, and she told my wife, I'm, I'm feeling alone. So my wife said, to just go back to sleep. She said, no, 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 I, I woke up and I'm feeling alone, so I want to sleep in your bed. <laughs> in other words, who told her she's alone? How does she even know that? How does she understand that? How do small children like, feel they're missing somebody? Because really, it's part of our human condition. A painful, could be a painful part of human condition, but, but it's part of a human condition. And because lonesomeness is encoded into our being, we have to know that this, this is almost gate invitation of him. That's what Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar means. He says the, the reality is that we're, we're built this way. So you're alone. You have to know that the, the neshama is alone. 
And on a certain level, people are always going to have moments where they feel alone, where they feel quixotic and isolated. It's always going to be the case. Almost always. Or it's almost potentially going to be the case. So if a person feels lonely, you didn't say, oh, I, something's wrong with me. No, it's, 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 it's normal when a person's alone to feel that loneliness. But it's also something that if somebody is alone, they have to kind of learn to live with or embrace. Yes, this is, thank, thank God I know I'm alone. If a person doesn't feel lonely when they're alone, something's actually wrong. And we're, we're almost built that way. And on some level, we all are, to some degree, foreigners or strangers. Anushama certainly is that way. But Hashem says, But you're with me. That is to say, as the Holy Baal Shem Tev used to express it, Ayid is never alone. Because we are always with Hashem. We perhaps are alone on a material level. We're perhaps alone anthropologically speaking, but Ayid is never alone because Hashem is with you. That's the Baal Turimus. That's what I, th- I think he's saying. He's saying, Bechalad, it's wherever you're going to be. The Shekhinah is with you. And a person should take comfort in that. He should take that to heart. He should think about the fact that God is with him. And perhaps you don't have to think about God replacing your friendships and your human relationships when you have the privilege of friendships and, 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 and a social circle and, and peers and, 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 and healthy relationships. So you're fortunate. But if you don't have that, then you have to focus on the fact that you have a special relationship with Hashem. And you have to think about it. And you have to bring it to heart. You have to ruminate on it. And ultimately, you have to revel in it. Check some of the questions here. So Skippy says, um, what does it mean that God is with you? Is it the Shekhinah? Yeah, I think it is the Shekhinah because that's what we just read in the words of the Tabal and is the Shekhinah present when there are ten Yidin that gather? What if there's one? So, <laughs> very interesting. There's a Mishnah about that. The Mishnah says that ten who are sitting and studying Torah, the Shekhinah is with them. And then it goes down to five, and it goes down to three, and then it goes down to two. And then it says, Yeshev Olav V'yidin, that even one person alone. So the Mishnah in Pirkei Avot actually deals with this and describes it in detail and speaks about different levels of a Shekhinah but clearly says that even if a person is alone, Yeshev Badad ki that Hashem is with him. Yes. And the answer is yes. And God is always with you. And of course, it's better to have a minion and it's better to be with others. Rabbeinu Bachai is not advocating isolation. He's not suggesting you become a loner. He's saying what happens if that's your goral. That's the way Hashem arranged it for you. How do you deal with it? How do you cope with it from a betochen perspective? I'm not sure what Wilson is saying, so William, I can't answer that question. Um, I 
I'm not sure what you're saying, Skippy, but yes, I mean, Moshe Rabbeinu was um, certainly alone with Hashem. There's no question about that. Moshe Rabbeinu did not really have any relationships. He even had to separate from his wife. And that was unique to Moshe Rabbeinu. At any rate, so now I think we've returned to, but better understood the words of this Pasuk. And here, Rabbeinu B'chaya continues to address this person who's in solitude. The Yachshev Belibay. He should think in his heart. So the person without the family or friends. So he should think in his heart. Call me Sheyesh Anybody has relatives in this world, he says. Oid Zman Ma'at. Yashuv Nachri In a short time, he's, he's going to be a loner again. He's going to be isolated, just in solitude. Now, Putatively, he's talking about when he departs this world. V'loi yo'i'elehu, pardon me, korev ben. At that point, no relative, no child will be able to help you. V'le'yeschaber imay echad mehem. You will not be accompanied by any of them. So, I mean, this is a difficult, it's a difficult um, paragraph to understand. I don't, I don't know with certainty I even understand what the Beit HaBachai is saying. So I think he's saying something like this. Maybe either he's saying that when a person goes off on his or her journey after body and soul separate, that they're lonely. They're buried alone and the soul goes it alone. And your friends don't accompany you. You're not going to have companionship when you stand before the Besdin Shalmaila, when you stand before the heavenly courts. There's no, you don't get to bring your friends along. In other words, here's a person who's so pleased with the social interactions. You're pleased with your social interactions, but like, you take comfort in them. You know it's all temporary. Like, you're not going to have your friends and family forever. Now, this is extremely counterintuitive because, you know, if, if, if I had a dollar for every time I heard somebody say at a, a funeral, or the Shiva house, at least my loved one is now with their spouse, their parents, their children, their friends. I'd, I'd be a very, very wealthy person. I mean, people use this kind of terminology. And I, 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 you know, I think to myself sometimes, how did they know? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I, I don't want to find out. I'd like to stay here together. Serve Hashem and welcome Mashiach. How, how, do, how do we know that a neshama gets to be? I don't know. How does anybody know? Anybody come back to tell you? I don't know. It's comforting for people to think that way. I don't. I don't. I mean, Rebbeinu B'chayyim seems to think otherwise here. So, if you take a look in the in the Mefarshim, so the Toiv Halavanim puts it this way. He says, "Lo yehena." This relationship that you have, it's a te- temporary thing. You only have it for now. Because he says, either way, if you live long enough, everybody else will die, so you'll be alone. And if uh, you won't live long, that's even worse. So then, then you're going to be alone because you'll be dead. So, uh, you know, this business of I'm, I'm so happy and satisfied that I have relationships, that's temporary anyway. It's just, it's not a lasting thing. 
kind of a morbid way to think about life. Rabbeinu Bachai is not telling you this is the... This is not the attitude one should come to life with. This is the attitude one adopts when faced with those circumstances. It's how you deal with your loneliness in a positive way. That you, you, your attitude becomes, you know, relationship is a little overrated. It's not lasting. What is lasting is my relationship with Hashem. That is lasting. And the relationship that you nurture and develop with God will be with you forever. The closer you are to God, the more you allow God into your life, the more you will have the benefit of that for posterity. That's a powerful thought. That's worth investing in. And as we said earlier, and as some of the viewers are, are suggesting, the, the isolation, the lonesomeness, actually makes you focus more on Hashem or enables you to focus more on Hashem. So that's, that's how you deal with it. The Paslechem, he says, he puts it this way, he says, It's just timely, it's just temporary. Once you die, you return to earth. You'll then be in solitude, isolated from your family. If so, so so what lasting value do you have with those relationships? People don't tend to think this way. That's not necessarily a lasting relationship. <laughs> Interesting. It's like a scary thought for some people. They don't want to think that way. They want to think that the relationships I have, I have forever. The friends I have in this world will meet again someday. I don't know. Ibn Bukhay doesn't say he doesn't say that. I don't remember actually seeing it written anywhere. I don't know that that's the case. But I do know that we are with God forever. And the more you're with God in this world, the more you will be with God in eternity. Because whatever happens here is re-experienced in eternity. So if a person lives without relationship with others, but he lives with a profound sense of awareness of Hashem, then that sense of awareness is a powerful and lasting possession. It's a lasting achievement. So the soul is here temporarily. Life is transient and temporary. But you're always with me, says Hashem. This is what a person should think about. This is the attitude one must adopt. And now, Rabbeinu Bechaya says, moreover, a person who doesn't have family and friends has to apply betochen or build betochen, which enables him to adopt and develop the following attitude. The Yach So the first thing you think about is God. God, our relationship with God. And, and that's eternal. And this is inherently who we are. 
inherently, God is always with us. And everything else is temporary and transient and evanescent. So now he says, furthermore, this person copes by comforting himself. The yakshavacharkach, then afterwards, it's like you have to think about the first thing first, and then afterward, he should consider and think about that in being relieved of relationship by God, you didn't look for it, you've also been relieved of a heavy burden. The burden of maintaining fa- a family, the burden of maintaining a relationship, and responsibilities. You've got to provide for your family. It's not about you, it's about them. A good person worries about others. So you have obligations, and you have to meet those obligations. And if a person doesn't have those obligations, if he doesn't have that privilege, he doesn't have the obligation. So if he doesn't have that obligation, then he has to consider that Hashem has done him a tremendous favor. Because he doesn't have those obligations, he has the opportunity then to immerse himself in Avedis Hashem. Because if instead of doing what a person has to do spiritually, instead of focusing on fulfilling a destiny, the reason for your creation, instead a person is now pursuing matters of the world. Those efforts that you're going to make in a direction of serving Hashem are going to be much easier when you don't have the burden of spouse, spousal, Spousal care and concern and provision and children. It's all the support you have to do. He says you don't have that. This, their absence, this lack, actually brings you a sense of inner peace. Not that you look for it. But if it's here, so the person should focus on the fact that he has menucha and if the person who is going to strive for perfection in the matters that pertain to his end, his future, so to speak, his, his afterlife, his heart and, and his uh, consciousness will be clear and free of, uh, of to serve Hashem, he'll be able to achieve in his aloneness, in his isolation, in his solitude, without any question, without any doubt. Anne is asking a question if there's a difference between emuna and bitochen. Most certainly, yes, Anne, but you've got to go back to previous episodes. you really got to watch them all. If you wanna, there's a, an enormous difference. Enormous difference. I've talked about it many, many, many times. Out of faith, a person can easily do the wrong thing. And he professes faith. But when your faith is internalized and nurtured, then it becomes much more than just, yeah, there's an atmospheric reality. It becomes the way you live your life. It becomes your attitude. It becomes your, your, your approach to everything that you experience. 
So, so what is Rabbi Baha'i saying here? He's saying that besides the fact that a person should ruminate um, this, this concept of being a stranger or foreigner is inherent to who we are. Besides the fact that the friendship and the relationship and the family is here today and it's not something that's lasting. Besides all of this, you should realize that his isolation, his solitude, actually gives him an opportunity to serve Hashem better. Now, it's not the thing we're supposed to look for. But if it comes your way, if it wasn't a choice you made, then that's what Hashem wanted to give you. That's what He wanted you to have. So Andrew is asking, so our relationships are not forever. Andrew, I don't know. I'm, uh, I'm flying blind as you are. I can only know what it says here in the holy books. What about relationships with our soulmate? We spend our lives looking for our other half and death parts us from each other forever? Quite possibly. I don't know the answer to that question. It's not inconceivable. Certainly the Bain of Bechaya seems to be suggesting precisely that, and I have never yet found a source that tells us otherwise. We assume it to be so. We want it to be so. We want to be buried next to each other. I, I, don't, know, I, I don't know. I don't know. The Bain of Bechaya seems to say that it's not necessarily so. And, and the way you put it brings out exactly the point. Exactly the point. That we spend our whole life trying to look for something that isn't going to remain with us. And we ignore the thing that actually will stay with us forever. We spend our life looking for human relationship. And this clouds our vision and disables us from achieving our spiritual fulfillment. When ultimately spiritual fulfillment, that is the thing that stays with us. The relationship with Hashem is the only thing that's really ours. We are gated with Teshavim. In this world, we will always be foreigners, always be strangers, always be sojourners. Everything is temporary, except the Madi, except Hashem Shechina. Now, it's very important to emphasize this is not the attitude, the approach in Yiddishkeit. It's a mitzvah to get married. A Kohen Gadol is not married, can't represent the Jewish people. It's not, Hashem's intention is that we should engage with others and we should be with others. And when many Yidin come together, it creates a manifestation of Shechina. It's all true. These are all good things and it furthers, in many ways, our spiritual growth. But there's also a virtue to the solitude. Because there's a virtue to the solitude, if you are isolated and alone, then find the silver lining. And it's not a guarantee that we're going to have peers, peers or relationship. It's not a guarantee. But it is a guarantee that Hashem will be with us. So this is the coping mechanism. But I, I want to emphasize, it's not, a, it's not a false coping mechanism. This is the truth. It's a truth that we don't like, perhaps, to focus on or think about, unless we have to. It's still the truth. The truth will set you free. The coping mechanism is by being aware of the truth and by focusing on that element of the truth so that you appreciate your situation instead of bemoan it. You believe you will live forever. Well, if you live with Hashem, you live forever. You used to believe in death and it ruined you. Instead of my death, I believe in Hashem's eternality 
Okay, give my heart. So then uh, that's fine. That's exactly what we're saying. It's not, you shouldn't focus on the body. Hashem's eternity and your eternity, your neshama, is uh, bound up inextricably. So if you focus on that, don't think about death. Don't think about the bodily realities you could be losing. Think about the spiritual reality, which is eternal rather than ephemeral. This is precisely the point. Now, Rabbeinu B'chaya says that you should know There were these people called Pirushim. Literally loners, isolationists, who would, who would, uh, they would escape. They would run away from their families, run away from their households. They would go to the mountains, so to speak, to the wilderness. Why? So that they could open their minds, they could, they could kind of empty themselves of all other concerns so they could focus exclusively on Avedis Hashem, on the service of God. So this idea, this idea is actually, it's actually rich, richly documented. I, I want to take a moment before we move on to talk about this idea. And, and um, you know, Andrew, you're welcome. And you're saying that this is what you're doing since you, you lost your wife, that this is how you spend your time with Hashem, doing mitzvot. Yes. That this is, this is the betochen way to cope. And it's true. So before we move on to the documentation of, I guess what we're going to call, uh, this, the virtues of solitude. I just wanted to point out that the Bianchi of Emden, he adds to the fact that Rabbeinu Bachaya says, Geir v'toshavim atami madi, is more than just an explanation as to why the land of Israel can't be sold in perpetuity. And he actually says something very important. He says, this is a recurring theme. If it was only a statement in Leviticus about selling the land of Israel, you know, you have a hard time. Where did Rabbeinu Baha'i get that from? But he says, in fact, in fact, it's, it's a theme which shows up in the, in the words of King David, in the prophetic exhortations of David Amelach. He says, if you take a look in Tehillim, take a look in the, in the book of Psalms. So in chapter 39, in verse 13, we say to Hashem, we ask Hashem to answer our prayers and our entreaty and to listen to our, our tears. Why? I'm a stranger with you. So what does it mean? So the Radak says, Ki ha'odam ba'olam k'moi ha'ger ba'aretz. Loi loi. The person in this world is like a foreigner in a land that is not theirs. And they say atomid mimokim l'mokim because you're always journeying or traveling. And I was thinking, what does Radak mean? What about a person who lived in the same house for his, all of his lifetime? But a person who never moved. Not everybody is peripatetic. It doesn't mean moving. It means everything in life is constantly shifting and changing. Things are not eternal. There's always new realities we have to adjust ourselves to. So David Amalek talks about this. He says, Hashem should listen to my prayers. Ki ger onoichi. 
I'm not a stranger with you. Kiger, that's why Anoichi Imach, that's why Hashem is with you. I think maybe, maybe what he's suggesting is the more you know that you're a stranger in this world, the more Hashem is actually with you. The less comfort you take in your material surroundings and environment, the more you realize that Hashem is actually with you. That's, that's profound. In the book of Chronicles, in Divra Hayom and Malaf, in the 29th chapter, the 15th verse is, again, it's um, the final speech that David Melech is making before a large audience. We don't have a, a precise date, but we presume that, that this, um, this chapter, this part of, 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 of Divra Hayomim is towards the very end of David Melech's life. David Melech is physically weak. He's frail of body, but not feeble of mind. And he is able to muster the stamina and the exertion that it takes to deliver a public address. And, and therefore, it's probably not his final days, because he was very weak in his final days. So it's a point in David Melech's life where he's mature towards, it's like his parting farewell speech when he's still of full strength and his words are prophetic because they're preserved in the scripture. What does he say? He says, Ki geirim anachnu we are strangers before you. Speaking about Hashem. We're like, we're temporary residents like a father. This is a generational thing. It's inherent to our human condition. Human existence in this world is an ephemeral reality. We live here according to Hashem's will. We're not here forever. Yomenu, our days are kitzel yomenu. They're like a, a fleeting shadow. The shadow is always changing. It has no fixed or steady form. It, 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 it has no substance to it. Ve'ein mikveh, there is no hope, as the Mepharshim say, no hope of escaping death. So this is, a, this is actually a recurring theme. And it makes a lot of sense, a lot of sense for Rabbeinu Bechaya to, to speak about the concept of our aloneness as being inherent to part of a human condition. David HaMelech, you see, emphasizes this in his prayer and in his moral teaching. So there's a virtue to this aloneness. What's the virtue? The virtue is that a person can better serve Hashem. And here, here's something uh, really fascinating. There's an idea which I was um, very much aware of that's found in Hasidus. It's an, uh, something that's articulated by the Alta Rebbe. It's articulated by the Middle Rebbe, the Second Rebbe. It's articulated by the Tzemach Tzedek. The Rebbeim spoke about this, but... What, what I didn't know is that it's actually found in the Rishonim. And I don't, I don't know if they knew or if they saw, because the book that I'm quoting from now was only translated in the 1930s from Arabic. And to the best of my knowledge, and of course I don't know this for sure, 
the Alter Rebbe didn't read or speak Arabic. It's actually mind-blowing that the Rambam's son wrote a book. Rabbi Rambam and Rambam wrote a sefer. It was very popular in its day, and then somehow it just never got translated. Rabbi Yehuda ibn Timid never got to it. It only translated in the 30s. It's called Hamaspik La Oivdei Hashem. And in this Maspik La Oivdei Hashem, what's necessary, what's needed for the servant of Hashem, there is a whole chapter on Betochen. The eighth chapter is all about trust. And the, interestingly, the Rambam never mentions once the word Betochen. I talked a lot about that many an episode ago. The Rambam's son mentions it all, has a whole chapter about it. But he also has a chapter, the 13th chapter of his book Hamaspik is called his bodidus, which means solitude or aloneness. And he says something quite fascinating. It's fascinating to me because I, I always thought it's a teaching of the Alter Rebbe, but actually, centuries earlier, it's documented here, the Ram's son said this in his many words. He says, Avram Avinu says to his two lads, that's Yishmael and Eliezer, who accompanied, they're not such lads, but I mean, neither was Yitzchak really at the time. He says, you stay right here. Vani vahanar, I and the lad. He's 37 years old, Yitzchak. Neil chadkoi. We'll go to, we'll go to there. And, you know, we're going to prostrate ourselves. So the Bavram says, Yovin ha-meivin. If you are a, an understanding, a discerning individual, you will infer that this is not an anomaly, but rather something typical for Avraham Avinu. That he had a practice of isolating himself, of separating himself from the members of his household. Why is that so obvious to Rabbi Avraham? Well, I mean, Avram thought he was going to slaughter his son. And we don't hear of them saying, well, why are you going alone? We'll come with you. Avram said, no, no, that's fine. From this point on, I'm going to go alone. So he said, okay, you go it alone. So Avram says, from this we can infer that Avram Avinu used to do this. This was not an uncommon thing. Fascinating. He says, the Yitzchak, Shalom, Nisparsha, it says clearly in the Torah about this. Where does it say it? He maintains a spiritual practice. It says, Vayetze Yitzchak lasuach basada. Yitzchak went out to stroll among the field, the trees in the field. But of course, the word lasuach is also related to the Hebrew word sicha, which means to speak. And we understand this to be an articulation of prayer because whom was he speaking to? He had nobody to speak to. Yitzchak was actually quite alone. He had an old father. His mother passed. He didn't have a wife. And then he's out there speaking amongst the field and the trees. And then he finds Rivka. Rivka sees him for the first time. So Rav Avram says, The patriarchs and their children who followed their ways did not get involved in anything other than Re'iyas Hatsoin other than shepherding sheep, not other forms of, voc- or, or, of, of, of engagement or vocation. Why? Because 
This gave them, it afforded them the possibility of being able to retreat into an, a state of isolation, to be away, away from city life, away from urban, the hustle and bustle of urban existence, and there they could meditate and think about God. It's quite fascinating. So uh, the others actually did this at times. They actually looked for it at times. Rebbeinu Bechai says you can see this as a virtue. That's why the Prussian were doing this. And wants to know if the Shekhinah rests upon those who have the wonderful quality of Bittel. The answer is most certainly yes. In fact, your words are so incredible. This is almost verbatim what the Mittel Rebbe says in Teres Chaim. So in Teres Chaim, the Mittel Rebbe says... On Parshas Vayechi, on page 102, column 2, he says that the Ovot were in a state of total bittel nullification before God. And that's why they were all shepherds. They shepherded sheep and cattle. As it says, he had a lot of flocks. These are words, incidentally, it's a teaching from the Alter Rebbe, which is developed and elucidated by the second Rebbe, the Mittler Rebbe, to the point that the Mittler Rebbe's teaching and the teaching of his father, the Alter Rebbe, confused this one. I heard from, uh, from my Mashpia, the Shalom Khartanov told me that, I don't know where he saw this, that the Tzemach Tzedek would say over uh, words of the Alter Rebbe, and he would elucidate and bring various cross-references. And he once said to his father-in-law, the Rebbe, the Mittler Rebbe, why don't you do that? Because I don't know where the Alter Rebbe's words end and where your words begin. He said, it's all like homogeneous. You created the homogeneous thing. We should have the language of the Alter Rebbe and focus on his language. Remember that Tzemach Tzedek was like raised by the Alter Rebbe. He was a grandson and like an adopted son. He said, we should like study the teachings of our great Rebbe. And the Mittler Rebbe said, I don't know where his words end and mine begin. In other words, the Mittler Rebbe was in such a state of immersion in the words of the Alter Rebbe that the way he saw the teaching and the way he articulated the teaching, it was almost like a seamless continuum of Hasidic thought, teaching, and doctrine. It's a fascinating thing. But this is a teaching of the Alter Rebbe originally. I'm, just, I'm sharing with you from Teres Chaim because it's more richly articulated and developed here. And the Mittler Rebbe says a fascinating thing. This is a division of humanity that stems from the very beginning. Cain and Abel. Cain and Hevel separated. Cain worked the earth. And Abel was a shepherd. Why? Because it, if you want to understand this simply, in every kind of vocation, with the exception of shepherding, there's a tir de rabba, this tremendous toil and effort. Even he says, even a farmer has a tir de, has a burden, has a daiga, he has a concern, he has an anxiety. He is he's toiling, plowing and planting and harvesting. It's a big deal. But the shepherd, it's a anxiety-free vocation. Shum daiga. He can empty his mind all day from anything else. He's there to watch the sheep. The sheep graze and he prays 
and he contemplates, and he meditates, and he thinks, and he's with God. And the, the Mithle Rebbe says, Gama Shvatim, the Shvatim also were doing the same thing. Shehibachinas bitl bimitsios, because they were in a state of bitl, kisus like a horse to his rider. And then, of course, he goes on to explain, but Joseph was different. There's a similar idea which is articulated in the Maimur of the Tzemach Tzedek, and this is something already that's later found in the Maimur of the Rebbe Maharash and the Rebbe Rashab, his, uh, his, his uh, son and grandson. The Mitla Rebbe says, and Parshas Matais, this is a Maimur which is found on page 1339, Parshas Matais. He says that Yesh if you want to understand the tribes of Reuven and Gad, who said, we want to stay in Transjordan where there's lots of pasture. You want to understand them, he says. He says, then go back to Rabbeinu. Whenever he writes Rabbeinu, a Rebbe, he's referring to the Alter Rebbe. He says, with regard to the Shvatim and Yosef, I shared the teaching from the Mitla Rebbe, but it's from the Alter Rebbe originally. That Bacharu Lahem, they chose Li Yisrael to be shepherds. Because it doesn't have much burden. To stop the thought, the consciousness, the bitl. You don't have to assert yourself as being, I want to, because you're just leaving yourself in Hashem's hands. And he said, this is the same thing that the Bnei God, the Bnei Ruvain, they wanted to do this vocation. They should be in a state of bitl. <laughs> so in that case, what was wrong? They had a good idea. So the Rebbe, there's a beautiful edited sikha from the Rebbe, Makuta Sikhas in the eighth volume, the Parshas Matis. You find it on uh, page 189 onward. The Rebbe asks this question. So he says, and, and we see Moshe Rabbeinu was not happy. And he compared it to the Maraglim. He says, the Maraglim, Alta Rebbe says, in Parshas Lach had the same idea. They said, why should we get involved with running a country? It's just going to burden us and get on our way. So the Rebbe says, after Matan Torah, everything changed. Before the Torah was given, the goal was to be in a different headspace. But after the Torah was given, now the goal is to engage with the material world. Oh, in that case, so why is it okay? And why does Moshe Rabbeinu agree to it? The Rebbe says a fascinating thing. The Rebbe says that even after Matan Torah, there are two kind of segments. There's Yeshva Eil, there's those involved in the yeshiva, Torah study. And then there's Bali Yisik, the people involved in the world, in the language of the scripture, the paradigm or the image of Yisachar and Zvulun. In the words of our sages, as it's found in the Zohar, More Torah, masters of Torah, and More Uvdin Tovin, masters of good deeds and mitzvah. So... The world actually needs both. And the Rebbe goes on to explain that because it's easy for one to sometimes get clouded by the involvement with worldly matters, it helps to have the circumstances illuminated. The Mari Uvdin Tovin, they benefit from the Mari Torah. And there's different kinds of paths. The Rebbe goes on to say it was not a, it was not a long-term solution and in the end, our sages referred to the settlement of Bnei Godim, Bnei Ruven, as a nachla, mevuhelas, as a, in a, in, 
a legacy, a heritage that was easily disturbed. And that was the first province of the land of Israel to fall. The point, though, is this. There is something to solitude. There is something to being alone. No, it is not our first choice. We all want to have companionship, to have the benefit of a loving spouse and to be with children. We all want that, and we should. It's something we should pursue. It's what Hashem wants. It's the kavanah ha'oyoyna. It's the intention. God wants us to be together with others. Yet, we see that even people who had this would at times separate themselves from it. The Rebbe even writes in Hayyim Yoyim, uses the word hisboidudus, which is more than just hisbonanus, but hisboidudus. Hisbonanus means contemplation. Hisboidudus means aloneness, solitude. That on a person's birthday, a person should isolate himself, spend some time thinking. Because that's the way he can connect in the most profound way with God sometimes. So the Beit Nebuchadnezzar says, then this is what you must think. And this is how you must redirect yourself, and this is the betochen attitude. Not that Hashem is going to take care of these things. He's going to make it different. Not necessarily. So it's a different kind of betochen. But a betochen that is nonetheless edifying and life-enhancing. A betochen that elevates and transforms the person and enables him to utilize the gift of his or her particular circumstances in life in the best way possible. Hashem should help us that there should be no lonely people. And we should never have to use this mechanism. And we should always be together with others and always have friends and have peers and be surrounded by loving relationships through whom and along with whom we can serve Hashem in love and in joy and in fulfillment. And we should be zeicher to the era in which all of us will be together and all of us will be together with Hashem. A time in which there will be no disturbances. There will be no diversions whatsoever because everything will be available in such plenty. It will be such a surplus that nobody will even want or care about materialism. And instead, our focus will be the knowledge of Hashem and the closeness and relationship that it affords us with the coming of Mashiach. The Mehera will be amen speedily. And in our days, thank you so much for joining today. If you're lonely, I hope this helped you. If you aren't, maybe you can now help somebody who is. And as I said, Hashem should help us that we not have to utilize this mechanism because we should all have everything that we need, everything that we want, everything that our hearts desire, all holy and kosher and good things. And again, to serve Hashem properly, to usher in the blessed era of Mashiach b'mheira ubi amenu amen. Thank you so much for joining today. Have a wonderful day. Please subscribe, and uh, let's keep learning. Zagizomer.